Welcome to the Word Ministry of Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We trust that the following message will be a blessing. Open up your hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you through the preaching and teaching of one of God's choice servants. I hope you're ready for the Word of God. Today, we're going to deal with knowing the goodness of God, the goodness of God. It's so important to understand a person, and the only way you can understand a person is to spend time with them. When you spend time with somebody, you know their track record, you know how they respond in terms of crises, how they react to different situations, and over a course of time, you know what they will do even before it happens because you know their character. You get to trust them or even distrust them. And it's the same thing with getting to know God, who is a person. Uh, You know, some people are using you, and as soon as they get what they want, they discard you. But once we get to know God, we realize his character is unfailing in terms of his love and his patience towards us. And so when we think of God, His essential character in nature is he describes himself as being good. So as a divine attribute, goodness is first the description of who he is. It means that the Lord is not evil. He doesn't love sin. And indeed, he cannot even be tempted by sin. And it's synonymous with some aspects of what we would call holiness, which means that God is distinct from every other being and set apart from everything that is opposed to his moral character. So he's not evil. There's no darkness in him. God is totally separate from sinners and sin. Uh, High above the heavens, it tells us in Hebrews chapter 8. And so that's why he says, I, the Lord, am holy, because he is separate from all the creation. And he calls us to be holy, meaning we're called to be like him. And so when we think about God's goodness, it's connected to mercy, it's connected to justice, it's connected to his holiness. God is holy because he is good. God is good because he's holy. So it's hard to know which one comes first. But generally speaking, uh, as we're going to see in this lesson today, we find that God's goodness is essential to a description and a depiction of God's character. Now, why is this important for us to know? It's important for us to know because as we're going to examine the life of Moses, we're going to see it's because Moses knew God and he knew God's goodness. He's able to trust God in the midst of incredible tests, adversity, challenges to his leadership, betrayal, even amongst those in his family who betrayed him. And so to the extent that we know God and to to the extent that we know God's goodness, to that extent, can we trust him? Can we believe in him? Can we know that he loves us and can we trust that he's going to answer our prayers? God's goodness is described in Psalm 145, which we're going to read later on. It says, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. And so to a certain extent, God's goodness is manifest to the whole world. To a greater level, God's goodness is experienced by those who know him personally, those who have been saved. 
and have been brought to God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. So today, as I said, we're going to use Moses as an example. Let's go to Exodus chapter 33, and we're going to jump to verse 7. It says, Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting, the meeting with God. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and would each stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. Wow. And the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. This is deep. And the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. That's Exodus 33, 11. What a key verse that is. And when Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. And so we see here that Moses regularly met with God. Moses had a great uh, desire and hunger, a yearning to know God. He didn't just want to do things for God. He didn't want to just serve God, but he wanted to know God. And how he got to know God was by spending time with God. And it's the same thing, you know, how to get to know somebody. You need to spend time with them. You don't get to know somebody uh, just through a casual acquaintance, just by reading about them, just by hearing stories about them, just by even watching a movie about them. You need to spend time personally with them. You need to be with them under times of pressure and duress and stress to see how they act and react and respond. And uh, so Moses walked with God. He prioritized spending time with God. And his walk with God was so intense that it, it almost seemed as though the Lord couldn't wait for Moses to come into the tent because it says that as soon as he came into the entrance of the tent, the cloud descended, the pillar of cloud would stand at the entrance and the Lord would speak with Moses. So it seemed to be not only an event that Moses anticipated, it seemed to be an event that God anticipated. God can't wait to meet with you. God can't wait to spend time with you. God sent his son to die for you. Why? Not so you could just read about him, so you could just go to church once a week. He wants to spend time with you. He saved you, forgave you so that you could be reconciled back to himself, so you could have a relationship with God. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're all waiting and anticipating time spent with you in a relationship with you. But uh, this is also important. Verse 10, it says that when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would all rise up and worship, each at his tent door. And so the walk with God that Moses had made an impact on everybody else. You'll be surprised at the kind of um, impact that we all have based on our walk with God, our knowledge of God. And uh, people could sense if you really have a strong faith, a genuine relationship with God, and to the extent that that relationship is proven genuine, whether in times of stress or your daily devotions, your time with God, to that extent, are you going to make an impact on those around you, especially your children or your spouse or those who live with you. 
And so the people would drop what they were doing when Moses went into the tent. It was an incredible spectacle. It was you know, a thing that they waited for. Uh, it was something that they couldn't uh, wait for every day. They would basically plan their day around when God and Moses would meet. And so they would stand in the front of their tent and then they would worship as they saw God meeting Moses. And it says that the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. What a marvelous description of the kind of relationship that we are called to have with God. Jesus said, I don't call you servants, but friends, because I've revealed that which the Father has told me. So he wants us not only to be Christians, he wants us not only to believe him, he wants us not only to be saved, but he wants us to be friends. He wants to have a relationship. He wants to have conversations. He wants us to walk with him. He wants to be able to trust us with his secrets and confide in us, as it says in Psalm 25, the secret of the Lord is revealed to those who fear him. And so uh, to the extent you know God, to that extent will God entrust his secrets and confide, confide in you. And so God's relationship with Moses was described as a friend, meaning he knew Moses personally and Moses knew God personally. And when Moses turned again, into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. So when we see this, we also see how Joshua, who is being trained to succeed Moses, spent time with God even after Moses left. And he said, man, I want to experience what Moses is experiencing. It's one thing to be trained as a leader just through theology, uh, just through hearing sermons, or just by uh, being involved in a ministry with somebody. But the most important thing you need to imitate and I need to imitate is the prayer life of people that have gone before us who have made a big impact. And so it's Moses' prayer life, his time spent with God, that made the greatest imprint on the life of Joshua. And then we skip ahead in verse 13. Moses said, Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, this is one of those times when he's meeting with God face to face, he said, show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. So Moses wanted to know God's ways. In other words, he wanted to know what made him tick, what motivated him, what was the thing that caused God to act the way he acted. He wanted to know God's nature and God's character. He wanted to know God's personality. So he wanted God to reveal himself distinctly to him, uniquely to him. He wanted to know God's ways. And so as we look at this, we see how God answered this prayer. He said in verse 14, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with me, do not bring us, meaning the children of Israel and Moses, up from here. I don't want to go anywhere without your presence. He said, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct from all the other people on the face of the earth? So the thing that distinguishes true believers from unbelievers is not that we just go to church, not that just that we do works of service, but that God's presence is with us, that we have an indelible relationship with him, that there is an otherworldly sense about us and that we are walking 
with him who is from another world. And so God says uh, further on to Moses in verse 17, this very thing that you have spoken I will do because you have found favor in my sight. So the whole nation benefited from the favor that God bestowed upon one man. And this shows the importance of leadership. This shows the importance of influence. To the extent that God's favor is upon the leader of a church, to that extent does the whole church get blessed and the favor of God hits a whole church. It's amazing how even you look at heads of houses, to the extent that God's favor is upon the head of a house, whether a husband or the mother, uh, father, uh, to that extent does the whole family get blessed. And so there's something here to be said about favor from God upon leaders in every aspect of culture and society. And so Moses knew he had God's attention. Verse 18, first we read that he said, show me your ways in verse 13. And now, again, he says it, but differently. He says, now, please show me your glory. And God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim before you my name. So that's an amazing answer. First of all, he says, show me your glory. The word glory in the Hebrew is the word for weight. Um, it means that God is dense. God is weighty. It's the summation of everything God is. God is omnipotent. God is omnipresent. God is omniscient. Uh, God is good. God is righteous. God is just. God is merciful. So you combine all the attributes of God. God is all-knowing. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He knows the end from the beginning. Uh, Jehovah Rapha, my healer, Jehovah Tisitkanu, my righteousness, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, Jehovah uh, Sabaoth, the Lord of the armies of heaven. Uh, you know, you can go on and on and on. El Shaddai, the many-breasted one, the strong faith one, Elohim, the strong uh, creator, the faithful one who made the universe. Uh, Jehovah itself is a name uh, bestowing upon God the attribute, not bestowing upon God, but describing God's covenantal aspect. And Yahweh is the term that was used by the Jews. If we look at all the vowels that were put together, we depict the fact that uh, he was probably called Yahweh almost more than any other name in the Bible. But all these names represent who God is. Uh, Yehovah, God who was, who is, and who is to come. That's why he described himself in Exodus 3, verse 14, as I am. When Moses said, who sent me? What is your name? What do I tell the elders of Israel? The name of the one who sent me is, and he said, say that I am, which has to do with the fact that he was, is, and is to come. The past, present, and future all reside and abound in God. And that's why Moses said, show me your glory when you compound everything that his name represents, everything God is, everything God represents, all of his attributes and his nature and his being represented by his name. All you could do is just say it's weighty, it's dense, it's thick, it's inscrutable, it's, it's beyond finding out, it's beyond measure. And that's why we have the word glory as a one-word summation of who God is. So when he said to God, show me your glory, God's answer is very interesting. He said, I'll make all my goodness pass before you. So God's description of all of his attributes in essence is goodness. 
So you could argue that God is good is the greatest summation of who God is. But we also have in other portions of scripture, uh, God is light. It says in Psalm 27 and 1 John 1, 5. Uh, but it also says in 1 John 4, God is love. And so there's aspects of God's nature that are so powerful and profound. God is actually ascribed by that one word, summation. Here we see that God, when he was speaking, not when someone's speaking about him as in scripture, but when God described himself, he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim before you my name. Amazing. The word proclaim means preach. So God actually preached or proclaimed his name. And he said, I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. So now he's describing what his goodness is in terms of his people. I'll be gracious. I will show grace to whom I will show grace and mercy to whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man could see me and live. And so as an expression of God's goodness, we have his mercy, which means that he gives us uh, treatment that we don't deserve. He bestows upon us love and, 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 and goodness and treats us way beyond what we deserve because we're all sinners. Uh, the Bible says that we're all sinners. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. So when Moses says, show me your glory, and God says, I'm going to have all my goodness pass before you. And then it says that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We know that we don't deserve his goodness because we've fallen short of his goodness and glory. And so God says, I'm going to pass before you. And I'm going to allow my goodness to come before you. But because Moses was a sinner and he couldn't handle the fullness of the glory of God being revealed to him, God says, I'm going to hide you and put you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I'm going to take away my hand and you will see my back, but my face you cannot see. Wow, it's incredible. And so God describes his goodness as being gracious, meaning he gives us grace, which is God's undeserved favor, unmerited favor. He's saved by grace not by works. Nobody could earn their way to heaven. So the way God expresses himself in light of the fact that he is holy and just and good and we've fallen short of that goodness and glory is he expresses himself in grace and his grace came more fully through Jesus Christ. It says the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. That's in John chapter 1. And so God's fullness of grace and mercy was expressed in Christ and culminated when Christ died for our sins, the just for the unjust, so that he could have mercy and receive us back to himself. He was punished for our sins so that we could be restored back to a relationship with God the Father. And so we see that God told Moses, I am going to answer that prayer. I'm going to show you my glory by allowing my goodness, a glimpse of my goodness to come before you, but you can't handle all of my goodness in his unregenerate state and in his state of fallen, nat the nature of humanity. You can't handle all my goodness and see my face because no man can see my face and live. You just blow up, you'll explode. 
So I'm going to hide you with my hand and pass by you. And once my face passes, you're going to see my back. And basically, we pick up in the story in Exodus 34, when that is fulfilled, it says that the Lord descended in the cloud, 34.5, and he stood with Moses there, and he proclaimed the name of the Lord. Wow. God preached to Moses, and the Lord passed by him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a good God, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for generations, forgiving sin and transgression and iniquity, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the sins of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And so we see that God came down, God proclaimed, that word proclaim means to preach. Um, and so when God had a chance to preach, to man. This is the first instance that we know of when God actually himself preached. He didn't preach a message on healing or faith. He proclaimed the message on who he is, on his attributes. And in light of that, it's unfortunate that so few messages are preached in the world about who God is, about his nature, his character, his attributes, his love, his omniscience, his omnipotence. And so here he says he preaches and he describes himself, the Lord. That word in all capitals is Jehovah, the Jehovah, Jehovah, a God. Whenever there's a, a G with a small O and D, it's Elohim. So the Lord, the, the Jehovah, Jehovah, that's the covenantal aspect of God. Um, and then a God, Elohim, that's Genesis 1.1. It describes God as, as being powerful and creator. It says the God who's merciful and gracious. So here he is, the creator, the covenant-keeping God, meeting sinful man. And the only way we could actually meet sinful man without exploding, without dying, is God's expression towards us is through his mercy and graciousness. If he didn't have mercy and graciousness, as part of his character, his personality, and his attributes. We could never be saved. We could never meet God. We'd be forever distant from God, and we would be separated from his joy for all eternity. And so he describes himself as a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. And so he talks here about not only his mercy and his grace, but he talks about how he has to forgive sin and iniquity, and he will not clear the guilty if we are not cleansed with the blood of Christ. There is no forgiveness outside of Christ. He is the grace of God. He is the truth, the manifest goodness of God. He's the expression of God to humanity. And so when we think about the cross of Christ, we realize that God in his holiness and his absolute goodness cannot have fellowship with us. The only way he can is by the grace of God, the graciousness of God expressed when God the Father became a man and he died on that cross. And if we believe in him, we will not perish, but have everlasting life. 
And so God's goodness is extended to us. God's goodness is extended through mercy, through justice, through kindness. Uh, justice of God is that he doesn't acquit the guilty of sin. We have to come to God. We have to be punished in Christ. So we ourselves are not punished, but when we unite with Christ, we're punished in him. So that's how we're saved, even though it doesn't compromise God's holiness. He doesn't acquit the guilty. So if you don't receive Christ, you're guilty. So you'll have to stand before God on the day of judgment with all your sins in front of you as someone who falls short of the glory of God, as somebody who cannot see his face and enter heaven. The fact that we can't see his face and live has left fallen humankind with many different descriptions of God. That's where we get all these weird religions, uh, how we have perverted views of Christianity. And there's many, many views and even perverted views of God's goodness, which leads us to false theologies like universalism, where everybody's automatically saved on the cross of Christ, when nobody has to repent, the world is just saved, or all we do is sometimes talk about God's love, we never talk about sin or repentance. That's a perverted view that compromises God's justice, God's uh, need for having mercy upon us is, is because of his holiness, because of his goodness. And then we have uh, other perverted views of God's justice. We have uh, a lot of even the church is now talking about social justice, but they don't realize that social justice is a mantra created by the Marxist to talk about the redistribution of wealth, to talk about class warfare, uh, to talk about the overthrow of old systems, and to pit people against each other. And that's not the biblical view of justice. The biblical view of justice has to do with people having individual rights and private property. And uh, the book of Proverbs is replete with teachings about how if you're lazy, you're going to come to poverty. Um, how there's generational wealth passed down from children to fathers, um, uh, from fathers to their children and great and grandchildren because they fear the Lord. Uh, and so redistribution of wealth is never just given because you're a human, has to do with you earning it by hard work, by being creative, by being a problem solver. And so this whole notion of social justice uh, is the far left co-opting co uh, a, a, a depiction of God, of his justice. And because the world doesn't see God and doesn't have that relationship with God, they come up with their own devices of an expression of what they call God's justice. And even the world sometimes gets into the church and the church adopts these phrases. But uh, when I talk about social justice, I'm talking about sex trafficking. I'm talking about uh, understanding the sanctity of life, both pre-birth and after birth. I'm talking about how God was always against slavery, how we should always love and serve each other, how we should give people an equal, equal opportunity, how we should give people uh, fair pay for their work. Uh, but when other people are talking about social justice, they're talking about distributing wealth because of class envy and other things that were borrowed from Marxism. So we also have to be careful that we don't twist and pervert the nature of God and his view of justice uh, in the Bible. As we wrap this up, I want to read uh, a few verses from Psalm 103 and then Psalm 145. 
These are descriptions of God's goodness. Psalm 103, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless the Lord, bless his holy name, forget not his benefits. So his benefits come from God as a beneficent God. He's a good God. And what are the benefits? Because of his goodness, it says, he forgives all of our iniquity. That's verse 3. He heals all of our diseases. We need to believe God for healing. That's part of his goodness. He redeems our life from the pit. That's salvation from hell. He crowns us with steadfast love and mercy, satisfies us with good so that he renews our youth like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. So Moses knew God's ways. He took time to spend time with the Lord, to know God. But the people of Israel, unfortunately, only observed God from afar. They knew his actions, but they didn't know his ways. It says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide. He will not keep his anger forever, but he doesn't deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love towards those who fear him. So as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our sins from us. This is all description of God's goodness. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He's slow to anger. I thank God he's slow to anger, that he doesn't lose his temper quickly. If he lost his temper very easily, none of us would be alive today. He's abounding in steadfast love. He's always there, even if we're forsaken by everybody else and everybody else has given up on us. God is steadfast. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins. And then uh, there's so much more we could say about God's goodness. Again, Psalm 145 says that God is gracious and merciful. He's good to all. His mercy is over all that he has made. And so as I conclude today, who are you trusting? With whom do you trust your life? Do you trust people who don't have steadfast love, whose love is here today, gone tomorrow? Do you trust people who say one thing and do another? Do you trust people who, as much as they have good intentions and mean well, sometimes they really fall short and let you down? And that's everybody. Who are you going to trust in your life? My prayer today is that you will trust God because he's the only ultimate good person in the universe. Jesus said no one is good but God. Every good and perfect gift that comes from above is from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness or shadow of turning. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is good all the time. God is good. Won't you put your trust in Jesus? If you're somebody who wants to experience Jesus Christ, if you're somebody who wants to experience the greatest expression of God's goodness and of God's mercy, Jesus Christ is the expression of God's goodness and mercy. He died on the cross for your sins. He took all your sins and my sins upon himself. And so today... I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If you've never received Christ in your life, if you believe that he died for you, if you believe that Jesus was punished in your place, 
If you want to know God, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to know God except through Christ. The good news is after he was crucified, he was buried and rose from the dead three days later. And the Bible says if you say with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord, your master, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that he's not dead, that he's alive, you can't be saved. Because everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If you want to receive Christ, uh, you could just pray this prayer after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die in my place. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I believe in you. I believe you not only died but rose from the dead. Come in my life. Forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for everything I've ever done against you. Give me the power to live for you and the Holy Spirit that I could follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer and you really meant it and you've surrendered your life to Christ, there's going to be instructions on how to get in touch with us. We want to help you. We want to connect you to a local body of believers. And we want to help walk with you so that you can continue to follow Jesus Christ. I hope you are blessed by the word. God bless you. And remember, God is good. All the time, God is good. We trust that you were blessed. For more information regarding our church, please go to our website at www.resurrectionchurchofny.com or call 718-436-0242, extension 0.